0: In the tech world, an open technical standard is a list of rules and guidelines and instructions for making or doing something consistently over time that is, accessible and practical, in the sense that all those rules and instructions and such are available to anyone who wants to use them, and importantly, in the sense that it has an open license, which means anyone or any entity, like a business, can use it without paying a license fee, in addition to it being extensible and non-discriminatory in terms of how they can be used and who can use them. So a standard is something like a JPEG, which is an open file standard for a lossy image format, which can dramatically reduce the file size of computerized images, and which will work the same way on all devices, because it is standardized. While a lightning connector, the kind you'll be familiar with if you have an iPhone or older model iPad, is a proprietary standard owned by Apple. So other companies can use this standard, but they have to get Apple's permission and pay Apple a licensing fee to do so. Apple rules the roost with the proprietary Lightning Cable standard, whereas anyone can make sure their apps play well with JPEGs for free, because it's an open standard. Other open, non-licensed standards you might be familiar with include Bluetooth, MP3s, though the MP3 was patented before it was made open and then consequently became popular, GIFs, HTML, and the internet more broadly, plain text file formats, Markdown, EPUBs, PDFs, which is another type of open standard that was proprietary but then eventually went open, zip files, and a slew of other bits and bobs, including those that allow us to use ATMs in other countries, plug our devices into just about any outlet we might encounter, and as I alluded to earlier, connect pretty much everything to everything else through the internet and a slew of other wireless protocols, which are accessed and used in different ways by countless devices that adhere to standards that allow all that invisible wizardry to function together. Open standards are both prevalent and important, then because they are what allow our things to work as intended, and what allow us to get predictable outcomes, rather than worrying, for instance, that a JPEG image snapped with a Samsung phone will not be interpreted correctly on an iPhone, or a computer, or by a printer, and they are what allow our phones to talk to our wireless earbuds, and our cars, and the smart speakers in our living rooms, and what allow our apps to generally work together with each other, our files, and the hardware through which they are accessed. What I'd like to talk about today is an open standard that, while not new, is arguably newly important because of what it represents for the increasingly vital, and only becoming more vital, global semiconductor industry. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The article I'd like to start with today comes from XDA developers and it's entitled Google announces official Android risk five support. RISC-V, which stands for Reduced Instruction Set Computer, Generation 5, and which is spelled in its most common acronym form, RISC-V, is the most recent version of the RISC standard, which is a set of instructions for designing and building a microprocessor, a computer chip, similar in ultimate purpose to the chips that power the smart pieces of pretty much everything digital we use today. But like other open standards, this chip architecture, which was originally developed in the 1980s, is free to use and build upon. So rather than having to license chip blueprints, or instruction kit architectures as they're often called, from companies like Intel or ARM, Folks wanting to make their own chips could start with this standard, and as long as they adhere to those instructions, that rule set, their computer, their phone, their smart car, whatever, will be interoperable with every other RISC-V digital component on the market, and all the translation hardware and software that allows RISC-V components to plug into those other, currently more common, computer components as well. And that's a pretty huge deal for several reasons. It's a big deal because under the current paradigm, the major chip companies tend to offer just two main practical options to their customers. They can have their own in-house people design their chips custom atop existing blueprints that they license, or they can use off-the-shelf chips that the company produces and sells to anyone who wants them. That first option is generally limited to massive companies like Apple, which prefer to design their own chips in-house, because they then have absolute control over how everything works, how the chips connect to their other hardware and software, and what the final physical output looks like. The latter option is more accessible and common, but it also means that the customer is limited in terms of how the chips work, their size, their power consumption, and what they're optimized for. Most chip companies produce new catalogs of commercial off-the-shelf chip offerings each year or quarter or other sales period. So you as a company that needs chips for your array of products that you create can use one that's optimized for efficiency, or one that is middle of the road, or one that is maximally powerful. But you likely can't get one that is perfect for your intended use case. You kind of have to work with what's available rather than being able to get a super high powered one, one that is smaller in form factor than usual, or any other special case design. Risk 5 makes that former option, designing one's own chips, more attainable because the baseline chip design is available as an open standard, and that means tweaking it for your priorities is a lot simpler and substantially less expensive. So you would almost certainly still need to go to a chip manufacturer, usually called a foundry, to get your chip produced after you design it. But the upfront cost of designing a custom chip is no longer as big a deal, and thus limited only to the spendiest, biggest companies on the planet. This standard is also considered to be a pretty big deal because it opens up the possibility of producing incredibly inexpensive chips, the sort that are so cheap you can just toss them into anything, and it will barely impact the price of that thing in any meaningful way. That's partly down to the reduced costs associated with not having to pay licensing fees, but the risk architecture, in general, is also just designed to be simple, and for many use cases, like little Internet of Things devices, smart speakers, security cameras, and the chips used for specialty purposes in other devices, like the security chips on laptops, don't need to be high-end, or even medium-end. To be valuable. Simpler is better for both energy use and price, and Risk v presents a compelling opportunity for folks wanting to use simpler, cheaper, energy-sipping computing hardware in their products. Risk v might also be useful for companies hoping to replace specific components in their products that are currently made by either unstable-seeming companies or those located in regulatorily complicated territory. Components using the RISC-V standard can help folks design their own stuff and or more easily shop around buying pre-made designs when they need to because all RISC-V hardware plays well with all other RISC-V stuff. This also means business customers are no longer beholden to chip designers that might become a bottleneck in their business's success. ARM, for instance, which is one of the world's biggest chip makers, has been a bit volatile of late, ownership-wise, and there are a bunch of lawsuits, including from ARM against one of its biggest customers, Qualcomm, that have made facets of this industry moderately uncertain and combustible, and thus not ideal if you're hoping to remove risk and uncertainty and increase predictability in your supply chain. You don't know if this type of company will be sold off or sued out of existence or bankrupt by the end of any given tax period. So dealing with them, building your business around their product comes with some amount of risk, even if their products are otherwise pretty good. Chinese companies, and those based in Iran and other heavily sanctioned countries, might also find some value in this standard, as it could make them less reliant on products and services from companies that have been forced to no longer do business with them because of iffy relations between their governments. And the same is true in reverse for companies wanting to get products only currently designed and produced in China or similar countries, who might then be able to find replacements elsewhere instead because of the way this standard functions. And that use case would be enabled in part because the group behind developing RISC-V, the RISC-V Foundation, moved to Switzerland and registered as a non-profit in mid-2020, citing concerns about U.S. trade regulations as the reason for their move, So this is a standard that is open in the practical sense, but also in the legal sense, in part because it's protected by that presumed long-term Swiss neutrality in most international diplomacy-related regards. Looping back around to that piece in XDA Developers, Google has announced that Android will offer official support for RISC-V architecture alongside its existing support for more common instruction set architectures like ARM and x86. That's important because one of the major hurdles Risk v has faced so far is a lack of big player support. Google has made use of Risk v for various small custom purposes, but has not fully thrown its weight behind the standard in this way until now. And this comes a little less than a year after Intel announced that it would begin producing RISC-V-based hardware for its customers as part of a larger push to become a chip foundry rather than just a chip designer a move meant to help it compete with the by far dominant player in the lucrative foundry space, TSMC, while also potentially priming itself to become a foundry of the future, offering whatever its customers want, not just its own Intel-branded components. It'll offer open stuff and smaller, more niche products as well. Google's reps have said they want RISC-V to become a Tier 1 platform for Android, which implies it would be equal in support and development to other architectures like ARM, which would be a big deal because that would lead to more investment, support, and attention of the use and technical variety for RISC-V which has been under development since 2010 and frozen in the sense that it was locked in as a standard so that hardware and software using it could be built in a stable way since 2019. So this standard has been in its current form, usable and ready for anyone who wants it for several years now. And though it's gotten a lot of specific industry, specific use case, fairly techie attention by folks interested in open projects and the possibilities of using architectures unburdened by hefty licensing fees, it's not as useful as an interoperable design foundation until others are using it as well. And that is what this announcement, and several other recent announcements like it from other players in this space, may portend for this standard over the next couple of years. book I'd like to recommend today is called Slouching Toward Utopia, an Economic History of the 20th Century by Brad DeLong. This is one of those books that you could get a pretty solid idea of what it covers, and even a whole lot of the numbers and thesis statements of the book, just by reading all of the response essays and reviews to it. Because the guy who wrote it is pretty well known and well regarded in this space. And the book itself is very good and very well researched and quite authoritative in the statements and concepts that it presents. That said, it's also a fairly straightforward book with a fairly straightforward premise, and most of the enjoyment, for me at least, was getting a barrage of examples sequentially in relative chronological order as to why this general thesis statement makes sense. And to extrapolate on that a bit, here is the description for the book as provided by Goodreads, Quote, Before 1870, humanity lived in dire poverty, with the slow crawl of invention offset by a growing population. Then came a great shift. Invention sprinted forward, doubling our technological capabilities each generation and utterly transforming the economy again and again. Our ancestors would have presumed we would have used such powers to build utopia, but it was not so. When 1870 to 2010 ended, the world instead saw global warming, economic depression, uncertainty, and inequality, and broad rejection of the status quo. Economist Brad DeLong's Slouching Towards Utopia tells the story of how this unprecedented explosion of material wealth occurred, how it transformed the globe, and why it failed to deliver us to utopia of remarkable breadth and ambition, it reveals the last century to have been less a march of progress than a slouch in the right direction, end quote. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Slouching Toward Utopia by Brad DeLong. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can subscribe to my other news-centric podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check out the email version of that and subscribe to it for free at onesentencenews.com. Feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram, and just Colin Wright on most of the other ones. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week piano plays softly